Welcome to the Functional Breeding Podcast. I'm Jessica Heckman, and I'm here interviewing folks about how to breed dogs for function and for health, behavioral and physical. This podcast is brought to you by the Functional Dog Collaborative, an organization founded to support the ethical breeding of healthy, behaviorally sound dogs. The FDC's goals include providing educational, social, and technical resources to breeders of both purebred and mixed breed dogs. You can find out more at functionalbreeding.org or at the Functional Breeding Facebook group, which we work hard to keep friendly and inclusive. I hope you have fun and learn something. This week, we have G. Khalsa back on the podcast. G. is the founder of Midwoofery, a highly respected science-based educational resource for responsible dog breeders. She has a master's degree in microbiology and biochemistry from Arizona State University, including independent studies in the link between canine genetics and behavior. She has decades of experience in breeding, including working dogs and companions. I asked G to come talk to us about guardian homes. Why are they useful for breeders, and how do they help improve dog welfare? Well, hello, G. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. It's always interesting and fun, and I really appreciate being here. Well, thank you. So to fill people in on why G is here, um, so I had posted on the Facebook group a few weeks ago at this point talking about guardian homes, which I really feel like guardian homes are a critical part of the equation when it comes to solving the problem of raising enough dogs to sort of meet the need for dogs and yet still doing so with good welfare for Uh the parent dogs and for the puppies. And um, I didn't feel like that got expressed well in the conversation on the Facebook group. And I was talking to G about it because she has a lot of experience with guardian homes. And we realized that having her come onto the podcast to just have the conversation there made the most sense. So, G, why don't you start out by telling us why you think guardian homes are important? Oh, boy. Um, Okay, so we have an issue, and you talked about this in one of your earlier podcasts, where there's a lot of demand for dogs, and most of that demand these days is being filled by puppy mills um, or um, breeders who are not entirely up to par. Uh, in terms of, of dog sales, there, there are also shelters, which is a different issue. But even shelters are not providing enough dogs for the demand. So how yeah, do and I get... would I would say that puppies that come into shelters are coming from someone who has bred them intentionally or unintentionally, right? They still fall right. into the category of some kind okay. of breeder. Good. So where, where do where, you know, your podcast, I think, was appropriately titled, Where Do the Good Dogs Come From? Um, and to me, we, we would like to have a lot of our good dogs come from responsible breeders. However, a lot of responsible breeders are small in-home breeders, and it's really hard for them to scale up um, or even to have a, a moderate, moderately scaled business and maintain the welfare of their dogs. Because, you know, if I had six or eight breeding dogs, I could take the best care of them that I could, but they're not going to get the same amount of attention as if they were in a home you know, with just them or maybe one other dog. And it's it's a different it's a different type of environment that they get to be in, whether it's a kennel or or a big a house full of dogs. Um and I think that they can get much more individualized attention in guarding homes. And even six or eight, honestly, if we're talking about being able to have dogs where you can select 
from those dogs, the ones that are going to be making the best puppies, mm-hmm. six or eight is not a large number. Right. Um, because there's some of those dogs you're going to end up as they mature, you're going to realize this one doesn't quite, you know, this one has some separation anxiety or that uh-huh. one maybe has a little aggression or that one doesn't have the hip scores that I was hoping for. And now you're down to four or five dogs. Well, I also don't like retiring dogs, um, meaning that if I, let's say I had six dogs in my home and two of them retired, do I keep the dogs and take up space for a breeding dog or do I rehome them in in another home, in a pet home later in life? And I would rather place a puppy younger in life than rehome an adult if I can help it. I think it's less disruptive to the dog. Yeah, and they're your dog, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's very hard. So, there are some breeders who can't, right. who can't do it. And that limits them. <laughs> right, further. no, right. I can't Oof. imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like as we think about how many dogs there, how many puppies are being born in the United States, which is the country that I have numbers for. So we're looking at between like six and eight million puppies being born here every year. And the the percentage of them that are coming from situations where their parents had really good welfare and they have really good welfare and they've, you know, they really have a great beginning in life. The percentage of that, we don't know what the percentage is, right? But we think it's pretty small, right? Uh We think probably maybe just a million of them have that, if that. Um, and, And there's a lot of people who legitimately have a lot of concern about that. I have a lot of concern about that. I think it's unacceptable. And when... You want to sort of ask yourself, what could I do about that? And part of the reason I made that post was I kind of wanted to say, if you're out there thinking, how can I help there be more dogs having really good beginnings, having options for people? <laughs> I can hear your cat in the I'm background. sorry. You want me to lock them totally up somewhere? Okay. It's totally okay. No, it's totally Okay. <laughs> People like animals on this podcast. I just did <laughs> okay. such a cat noise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just also, I like that I was passion talking and the cat was like, Jessica. <laughs> no, he was it's agreeing not with that you. important. Totally agree. <laughs> he was with agreeing you. with me. Yeah. So I feel like if you're asking yourself, like, how can I help with that situation? You know, if you are interested in, in working as a guardian home and having a dog that could actually be used to create more dogs that come from a really good start in life, I think that is something really important to contribute to animal welfare, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I actually think guardian homes are an animal welfare issue. Um, And I I did a workshop on this last week, in fact, and I did frame it as as an animal welfare issue because some of the things that that we're talking about for animal welfare is that a, a breeding dog will not live in a kennel and not live in a house full of dogs if they're a guardian, but they will live in a permanent family their entire life. They will get the individual attention they need and deserve. You know, if I have if I have eight dogs, I can do my best with them, but I, they're not going to get the same amount of attention as if I had two dogs. It's just not possible. And I'm not going to be able to train train as much, take them all. I can't take them all hiking it, but, you know, at once. So it's going to limit their lives. Um, and so I think that's definitely an animal welfare situation. You know, you don't end up with kennels full or housefuls of dogs. You don't end up with hoarder situations. Um, and then also uh, something that we don't talk about much is studs. 
it's very hard for stud dogs. There are some stud dogs, and, and I think it's very breed dependent because there are breeds that I've had where the studs handle it much better. Um, but for many breeds, it's very hard for studs to be around intact females. And they cry and they whine and they eat through walls and they don't eat for three weeks. And they're just absolutely miserable because we might think that nothing's going on, but they are swimming in a sea of, of pheromones that are telling them that they need to get to that female and that, you know, it's the most important thing in their life. And it's very hard for them. So if they're in a guardian yeah. home, they don't have to deal with that. They don't have to deal with it. I don't, I sometimes I think about what it must be like to be a seasonal breeder. So we're not seasonal breeders, right? We're, we're always, um, uh-huh. we're always cycling. Uh-huh. And so human females may have increased or decreased interest in sex throughout their cycle, but it's not the same, I think, as animals who only right. um, have estrus once or twice a year. I think that must be such a different experience that we as continuous cyclers just don't understand what that feels like. And I uh-huh. I just can't even imagine, yes, how, how it must be. For your whole body to say, okay, this is the time you're gonna, you know, one or two shots this year. This is it, and mm-hmm. um, and then not to be able to do it. So, and then one more animal welfare issue is um, is weaning, which I think most people yeah. don't. But when I wean my dams, that I have, I have my own personal dogs that I breed, and I have dogs that live in guardian homes. When I send the dogs to home to their guardian homes after after they've weaned their puppies, they're fine in a day. Whereas, and they start to dry up right away. Whereas the dogs in my house have a much harder time of it because it takes them a lot longer to dry up. They let down every time they hear a puppy cry. Um, and they do, they do not dry up and they do not finish weaning, even though they're dealing with, with um, you know, having milk coming in all the time. But they're not done until the puppies go home. So so it's, it's a welfare issue for um, the dams weaning as well. You're talking about when there's overlapping litters. So if you have... A younger no. litter than the. No, I'm talking about like let's say I have a, I have a litter and I they're five weeks old and I'm weaning them at five weeks old. I mm. wean them, goes home at six weeks old and in a day mm. she's. Fine. Whereas if if the dog were to stay in my house, she would still be having producing milk and letting down and whining for her puppies and hearing them and crying until they go home. Mm, got it. So it's much easier for them to wean their puppies. Interesting. It's not something I had considered, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it's much easier on them. I feel very bad for my own dogs, and sometimes I'll I'll send them to go stay with somebody if I can. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we've talked a lot here about how it's really good welfare, the, the welfare pros for guardian homes for the animals, and there's there's definitely a couple of not as good, a couple of cons, right? So it's not completely perfect. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So there are some cons, but they're not, they're not, they're things that can be easily overcome. So they're, they're the type of thing where if you know about them, you can handle them. So one of them is that if I have a dog in a guardian home and she comes to me to be bred, is she going to be as comfortable if she doesn't live with me, you know, come to me to be bred? And so there are things that, that breeders can do with these dogs to help them be comfortable. So first of all, um, most of my guardian dogs are born in my home. So they, they are familiar with it. It was where they're born. And anytime they come over, it's like going to grandma's house. Um, and they're, they're always excited to come here. They're happy. And then additionally, I make sure that they, um, in my contract, my guardian contract, they do overnights with me. They have 
they come over and I do their grooming. They have play dates. They have overnights so that they're used to coming to grandma's house. And it's just the thing that they do and they're comfortable. Um, and they know that it's okay to sleep here. And they typically have their puppies in the same place that they were born. So it's not that big of a deal for them. So that's one issue. Um, let me think. Um, another one is that a breeder who has a guardian home has a big responsibility in ensuring that that guardian home knows how to care for a pregnant dam. So that's important as well. That that um, Some breeders will think that having guardian homes means that they do less work. Guardian homes are a lot of work. It's not less work. It's just different work. So the work is in educating and communicating and managing guardian home instead of managing the dog in your in your home or facility. So, yeah, that makes sense too. Did you so, have other other welfare issues? No, you that was yeah. I mean, the main one for me, I think the main one that people bring up is the the issue of sending the dog the bitch generally right because the stud uh -huh. generally doesn't have to go away for that long if at all, but sending the bitch away. And how stressful it would be for her to travel and live away from her family for some period of time. And my answer to that normally is what you just said, that I think it's important for guardian homes to be local for a lot of reasons. Right. And that's yes. one of them. Oh, yeah. Logistically, unless it's a male and you can collect and ship, they have yeah, to be Yes, local. right. For, and right, they for typically the bitch, are. The, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so all the breeder has to do is just maintain a relationship with the dog. Um, right. Makes a difference. And, you know, breeders... Breeders will send bitches to be bred across country. They'll throw them in a plane or drive, you know, drive two days in a car to breed a bitch at a stud's house. And I think that's more stressful on them than, than the bitch coming to my house and having a litter in some place she already you're, knows. Because you're grandma. Yeah. Because I'm grandma. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Or, or if you're younger, you could say auntie. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we've talked a lot about the animal welfare, but I think it's also worth looking at the welfare of the humans. Uh -huh. um, because that is actually important too. So some of the other issues that people have or the concerns that people have with this with this setup is how hard it is for the family to have their dog go their you know their female dog go away sure. from them for a couple of months. And and not all families are suited to be guardian homes. I mean that's that's something that they do need to to consider and think about and whether or not they can handle it before they agree to a guardian having a guardian dog. Um, before they're they're in a contract with somebody, you know, and agree to this, and take possession of the dog. So so it is yeah. not for it is absolutely not for everybody. It's hard to find good heart guardian homes. It, it takes work to find them, and it takes work to manage them. And this is part of why I wanted this podcast episode because I really wanted not just to to suggest to breeders that they consider using guardian homes because again, that's not for every breeder, but to try to recruit more guardian homes and to help people understand what that's like because I. I just I still think it's a it's a valuable service that you can provide for animal welfare without having to actually breed yourself. Yes, and there are um, some families that that love having a guardian dog. I had I had one family and and usually I contract for um 3 maybe 4 litters in a guardian home. I had one family and we we finished out the contract for the puppies that her dog was supposed to have and she decided that um she wanted to, her dog to have an extra litter because she mm. just it was she loved that her dog was making so many other people happy and bringing these puppies into the world and her dog liked being a mom and she thought it was wonderful. And so I said, sure, let's talk about it. And then um, 
quarantine was over at this point and the the market went down and I just couldn't breed as many litters and I decided not to breed that dog again and she got really upset because she wanted litter. So so there are people that really like guarding homes. There are people who don't. There are people who don't enjoy it. And so just think about it carefully is is my advice. And talk to them extensively before agreeing to it. Yeah, definitely. All right. And so let's see. And so what are the pros and cons? So we've talked about the pros and cons for the dog and the family. Is there anything more we should say about the breeder as well? Have I oh, missed lots, any pros and cons but... for the breeder? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, go for um... it. <laughs> well, it's just, so I have a list of um, whether or not people are suited for a guardian home. Do you want me to go over that? Sure. Okay. So let me and find by it. by people, do you mean breeder or breeders? Owner? Yes, I'm sorry. Breeders. Yes, yes. So my questions yes. to a breeder that you need to ask if you're a breeder, these are questions you need to ask yourself if you're thinking about doing guardian dogs. The first question is, are you a control freak? Um, because if you're a control freak, it's it might not be for you because you do give up a certain amount of control. You give up control over the dog to a certain extent, and so does the family that takes the dog. So both parties are giving up a certain amount of control. So if you're a control freak, think about this seriously before you engage in it. Um, You need to ask yourself if you're a people pleaser or a pushover because there are times when you're going to have to make a decision for the dog or your program and the guardian might have a different opinion. And if you're a people pleaser or a pushover, um, that's something that's going to come into play as well. So that's something you need to think about. Are you going to be able to really have honest conversations with the guardian home when, when something comes up? Because something always comes up. There's always, there's always something to discuss. Um, it, are you bad at staying in touch with people and following up regularly? Because you have to do this with guardian dogs for the relationship to work and for the dog to be doing well. Um, and that's a welfare issue for the dog. So if you are not good at that, um, then that's this might not be something for you. If you're not good with people in general, you're going to have to work very closely and establish a relationship with the guardian home. So if, if, this, if you're not good with people, it might be something for you to think about not doing. Um, you're you're going to be signing a contract. You absolutely should have a contract for the protection of both parties and the dog. So you need to make sure you have a good animal attorney. Um, and then do you have enough experience with breeding that you can teach a guardian family what they need to know about raising a breeding dog and managing a breeding dog? And then my last question to breeders is, do you think you will have to work less if you have guardian homes? The answer is not that you will work less, you will just work differently. So those are those are what I think breeders should ask themselves before deciding on a guardian program. Yeah. So again, definitely not for everybody, and that's totally fine, um, mm-hmm. but useful for some people, um, where it is a good fit for you. Okay. So all right. So assuming it is a good fit for you, sort of digging into some of the nuts and bolts for how it works. What kinds of what kinds of things do you require in their relationship so maybe training do you you know do you would you expect that a breeder would require there to be a certain amount of training on the part of the owner sure i can't tell you what what other breeders do but i can tell you what i do and i require training because i think training for any breeding dog is is a safety issue and that's both for bitches and dogs uh because you know, if you've if you've got if you've got a bitch that um, is coming into your home and giving and, and and whelping a litter, and she decides that she wants to get out of the whelping box while there's a puppy hanging out of her, and you know, go into the closet or go somewhere else or do something else, 
you need to be able to have have communication with the dog and let her know that no she needs to stay in the whelping box it's a safety issue for her and the puppy and the same thing for for a dog you know stud dog that's breeding um stud dogs can be a little hard to handle sometimes so if they if they don't have good training that could be an issue as well and then also you've got when you're dealing with with placing breeding dogs in pet homes as a guardian you have hormone related behaviors and and those are strong urges for dogs so you need good training to help them be good citizens while they're dealing with these hormonal issues as well. Not peeing on the couch for the boys. Not peeing on the couch. If the door opens, not bolting outside. Um, right. Not being out of the fence. Not, not being aggressive if, you know, if there's a lot of testosterone involved or another intact dog happens to walk by, that type of thing. All right, so that's training. So okay. how do you handle veterinary care and veterinary care decisions, medical sure. decisions? Sure, so, so every breeder does things differently, but basic, what, what is very common and what I do is that um, for veterinary care, the, the family that has a dog is responsible for any typical veterinary care they would have with a pet dog. So vaccines, heartworm preventative, annual exams, you know, if the dog gets a scratch on its nose from playing, the family would be responsible, um, and I, as the breeder, would be responsible for any breeding-related costs. And that's veterinary and other. Fair enough. Uh, what about major things, like if the dog ate something inappropriate and needed GI surgery, and it was $3,000? Sure. So, so I I have a requirement as well, and a lot of other breeders do, that they have insurance. Mm. So that it, it's, you know, you never have to say, oh, my God, there's a $5,000 um $5,000 bill, who's paying for it, you or me? Or the family says, I can't afford that. I don't want to pay for it. Then what right. do you do? Do your dog die? Or do you pay for it and, you know, and suck that up? I, I think the best thing is to just have insurance and let the insurance pay for it. And then, you yeah. know, you have the deductible to deal with, but it's much smaller and that's something that's much easier to manage and much much less likely to cause conflict between you and the guardian. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's just a that's a very thorny issue and definitely something that I okay. saw a lot of in veterinary school of sort of yeah. not not with the guardian homes necessarily, but of the you know right. what do you do when these when these charges come in, right? And they're they're only getting more and more expensive. Yes, that's true. <laughs> not to mention the veterinary shortage. So mm -hmm. yes. All right. So so then, um, what happens if? the dog turns out not to be a breeding candidate or how do you well, decide on that you decide on that like you do with any other dog you look at the the criteria that are important for your um your program and then if the dog washes out of the program and isn't suitable for the program you just don't breed the dog and the family keeps the dog so you do as a breeder have more of a financial risk because you can't at that point take the dog out of the guardian home and sell it as a pet dog you don't want right. to do Right. So, so you you do have a little bit um, less of an option in that area. And I'm just trying to think about sort of other ways that sort of other other problems that can come up. And um, I don't remember if I was talking to you or to someone else uh, who was talking about at one point they had put a dog, a bitch, in a guardian home, and the family just turned out they thought that they were up for it, and they turned out to not be able to cope with some part of the process and I don't remember whether it was sending the bitch away or whether they were anxious for her safety because 
uh, pregnancy and giving birth is not a no risk uh-huh. situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so, how do you how do you deal with it when people enter into the contract with all good intentions, and then just you know they they sort of hit a wall and say like this is really hard for me. Yeah. So ideally you will have talked about this ahead of time and, and often um, I will send the dog for um, to visit with them a few times and to do a few overnights with them before they become a guardian and then they give the dog back to me and if they can't handle giving the dog back to me or it, you know they realize at that point that it would be a problem. Oh, so interesting. You can, you can do that to mitigate it. You know you have to trust the guardian because you're giving them a dog but um, you need to trust the guardian anyway. It's it's a communication issue and it's an individual issue. And this is why I ask the questions that, why I recommend that breeders ask themselves the questions that I mentioned earlier. You know, how well do you deal with people? How, how well can you work through this with somebody? Um, are you a pushover and are you just gonna lose all your dogs and let the guardians take them and, and not give them back to you for breeding? Is that something you wanna do? Um, and how good is your contract and and how willing are you to have to deal with with legal issues if they come up all right well that makes sense so maybe it would be useful now to talk about what the process looks like so if you're a breeder and you're thinking about adding guardian homes or or so where would we start if you're a breeder you have some puppies on the ground and you want to place one in a guardian home what does that look like Sure. And before we talk about this, if you don't mind, I just want to say something that I forgot to say earlier. And sure. that for the breeders that if you have a dog that you want to place in a guardian home, you should not place a dog that you can't afford to lose. Because yeah. there there are times when, you know, like with anything else in life, there are good people and bad people or good situations and bad situations. And you stuff happens. Take, you take a risk of losing your dog. So if you if you have a line that you've been breeding for 20 years and this is your last dog that you have from that line and you just cannot bear the thought of losing those genetics or you just spent $30,000 importing a dog and you know that's a, a large amount of money and you don't want to lose that money do not put that dog in a guardian home. You know, you never want to think that you're going to lose any dog that you put in a guardian home, but it's a much bigger risk in a guardian home. So do not guardian a dog that you cannot consider losing. So that's that's really important for people to know, for breeders to know. So yeah, that now, sounds like excellent advice. Yeah, yeah. So so now to the process. Um, everybody does it a little bit differently, but my basic process is I do some sort of advertising to to find guardians, and sometimes that's on social media. I have a page on my website, and then I send them to an application and ask them to fill out a pretty extensive application. And in the application, I make sure that I touch on things that I need to know about their house and their lifestyle and all that fun stuff. And then the next thing I do is I, I invite them over to my place to meet me and the dogs. Um, and we have just a discussion and an interview and I talk to them about the program. And then after that, I give them some information to take home and I do, if they're still interested, I do a home visit because there are things that I wanna see about their house. And I, I recommend that you absolutely do a home visit and you have a checklist as a breeder when you're doing a home visit uh, so that you know what to look for. What what are your red flags or what are your hard no's? Like for me, it's not so important that they have a fenced yard because honestly, I don't want people keeping, you know, just throwing a dog out for four hours in a fenced yard if, if she's in heat type of thing. And if if they walk the dog, I'm fine with that. 
Um, but I do not want a home where there's a dog sharing a fence because that can be a big problem, especially if it's a dog or a dog with some behavioral issues. So, so things like that that you look for. And then at that point, um, if we're both comfortable with it, me and the guardian, um, I'll share um, I'll share the contract and talk to them about the contract um, and send them home with it and make sure they have plenty of time to think about it and read it. And then, you know, we talk on the phone a couple of times. I address any questions they have. Um, and then if things are good, we sign the contract. But I make sure that there's good communication um, and that we're all comfortable with things. And like I said, sometimes I'll send the, the dog over to, to do a couple of overnights with the family before we do anything else. I wanted to interject. You told me something interesting about your contract one time, which was that basically you put some really scary things in there, not uh -huh. so much to protect yourself as to prompt the conversation <laughs> to make yes. sure that people take some of the yes. possibilities seriously. Yes. So I, you know, we, we, we all do contracts for different reasons, and a lot of people think that the point of a contract is so you can, like, take somebody to court. To me, the point of a contract, ideally, is, you know, that's that's like the, the way end game is if I have to take somebody to court, I do want my contract to be enforceable. But really what I want the contract for is to prevent issues that in an ideal situation. So we, we're laying out everything ahead of time. And we're discussing everything ahead of time so that if something comes up, we know exactly how that situation is going to be handled and we talked about it already. And it opens the line of communication. So I want I want the contract to to be to actually prevent litigation and arguments rather than to be a recourse for them. Perfect. All right, go on. So they sign the contract. What happens after uh -huh. that? Um they take the dog. <laughs> oh, puppy. Yeah. <laughs> So they get their puppy and, uh, you know, it, and the contract is really important. We can talk about that a little bit if you want. You need to you need to think about every eventuality that could happen with a guardian home, as well as everything that they're responsible for and everything that you're responsible for. So if you want the guardian home to be responsible for something and you don't put it in the contract, they're not going to know about it ahead of time. So that's not fair to them, number one. And number two, you have no way to enforce it if they decide not to do it. So let's say, for example, I don't want um, I don't want my guardian homes giving my dogs any purple mohawks because I, you know, I take pictures. I like to take pictures regularly of the dog growing up, and purple mohawks just don't fit my image. So I put that in the contract, and it's fine. But if I don't put grooming requirements in the contract, and they do give the dog a purple mohawk, and I've scheduled, you know, a four hundred dollar photo shoot the next week then there's going to be some conflict. And that was my fault because I didn't specify it in the contract. And and they have no responsibility for that because it wasn't in the contract. Yeah. Letting people know what the expectations are ahead of time yeah. is mm -hmm. so key to a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and even more so in this. And remember, dogs are very emotional touch points for people. Um, people love their dogs. And that's what we want guardian homes to do. But we have to make sure that the that we don't get guarding homes that um, are so emotional about their dogs that it can be it can cause some conflict because they just, like you said, they're they're you know they may they may change their minds um, and and that's really hard to screen for you know it's it's I don't know how to tell people to screen for that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think part of what you said too is that like sometimes it won't work out you and I think uh -huh. you have to go into right. it. Everybody can have the best intentions and stuff happens. And so I think that's the value of the contract too, to say what will happen 
if if something right. goes wrong, if something un, unpredicted comes up. And I, I do not recommend that people place guardians, um, guardian dogs with friends or family. But if you do place a guardian dog with friends or family, the contract is even more important because there, there may come a time where you're going to have to choose between the dog and the contract or the relationship. So yeah, you want to have things really laid out well ahead of time. Just like lending money to family. Very much so. Um, so it sounds, so talk to me a little bit about what it looks like as the puppy's growing up and you're maintaining this relationship with this guardian home. Like you're checking in. What does that look like? Are you phoning them? Are you messaging them on Facebook? Sure. So, um, you, you should determine ahead of time and talk to the guardian ahead of time about their communication style so that if they don't like to talk on the phone, you're not calling them every week and making them uncomfortable. So you need to determine that with the guardian. I have some automated communication systems that I use that helps me touch base with my guardians on a regular basis. Then it's just like some quick texting, things like that. Um, you, you can use email if they prefer email. But establish that ahead of time and communicate on a monthly basis just to check in. How's the dog doing? How are you doing? And to sort of establish the pattern of regular communication. Um, so I like to do that. Um, I like to groom dogs. I find it relaxing. And there are a number of reasons I like to groom dogs. Um, one of them to me is that grooming really can tell me a lot about the temperament of a dog. You know, uh, you'll see aggression in a grooming situation long before that you'll see, you'll see it sometimes in other situations. Cause you know, you might accidentally pull on the dog or something and, and some dogs will snap and some dog won't or do something else. And you can see that pretty quickly in grooming. So I like grooming because it tells me a lot about the dog. Um, I also find grooming to be a bonding experience. I love to groom dogs. My dogs love to be groomed because we, they get loved on and and brushed and and it's enjoyable for everybody. And then I get to spend time with the dog. So I offer that as a benefit to my guardians. Um, a lot of people don't like grooming and they shouldn't do it if they don't like grooming. Don't do this, but find something that you like to do and do it with that dog on a regular basis. So have the dog over for a sleepover and go to the park and play ball or find something that works for you that will let you bond with the dog and also tell you things that you need to know about your breeding dog. Um, I, I, do you, like I think you also mentioned at one point that you basically serve as camp for when people are going out of town and need a place to leave their dogs. Yes. So I have it in my contract mm -hmm. as well that I get first right of refusal on boarding the dog. <laughs> And and so I don't know why I think that's funny, but I just love yeah. the concept of first right of refusal for boarding. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, and that so I like to I like to make it so that that, it, you know, people think that like I've seen some really bad press about guardian homes. And and one of the actual headlines that I saw in a newspaper is that uh, something something to the effect of um, you pay all the bills and take care of the dog and the breeder makes all the money. And I, I, I think that's really not true um, in a good guardian setup. And I like to make sure that there are lots of benefits that I give my guardian besides the dog or in addition to the dog. They're getting a very valuable dog from me. So that's number one. They're, and they're getting a lot of other things that I put in as benefits. So they get the grooming from me. Um, they, get, um, they get the boarding. Um, and, and, you know, you have to think about what works for you in your program, what benefits you can give your guardian. So I do the boarding and people, you know, people who have been my guardians really appreciate the boarding. And, and I've had some say that they probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten a dog if they didn't have me to board their dog when they're out of town. 
I would love someone I could board my dogs with and feel comfortable yeah. with that. Yeah, exactly. Although my dogs are crazy and the dogs that you produce <laughs> a bit less so. I'll say that. We would hope. <laughs> it's, it's a low bar to be less crazy than my dog. <laughs> so I'll say that. Um, most of them. The one that was responsibly bred is a lovely dog, but the other two are a little... I'm sure they're all lovely. In their own special ways. Absolutely. So what else should we cover, G? Are we wrapping up? Um, do you have questions that you think are unanswered still? I guess my biggest question, I feel like I'm about to say that if you're a breeder who's interested in looking into guardian homes, you know, what resources would you have? And we're about to say what resources there are for that. So mm -hmm. for breeders, hang in for that. I'm not sure what resources, you know, if I were someone who was thinking about getting a dog and I wanted to think through being a guardian home, like how would I, how would I do that? Yeah. So let's, let's look at it kind of the same way we looked at it with breeders. What, what do you need to know about yourself if you want to be a guardian home? Okay. So the first thing I would say is, are you a control freak? If you are same a control thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you are a control freak, this might not be good for you. Um, let's see. Uh, are you, you know, are you bad at staying in touch with people? You know, are you bad dealing with people? Um, how comfortable are you with a dog? And, and then, you know, I would also ask, um, ask myself, and this is the most important thing, and it goes along with the control freak thing, are you going to be able to give up the dog for periods of time? For a male, it's not so bad because it's usually a day or so, right? Or a couple of times during a breeding, right. it's such a right. big deal. But for, for a bitch, you're, you're looking at six, eight weeks. Um, and so that, you know, that can be, that can be an issue for people and you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and you can't, you're going to be signing a contract. A responsible breeder will have you sign a contract because they need the contract um, to ensure the welfare of the dog. So you are going to be signing a legally binding contract and you cannot change your mind after the fact. And, you know, there, I, I know of some breeders that under no, I, I have, I have, I have, um, ended guardian contracts early for, for certain reasons at times. Like I had a guardian that had a heart attack and I ended up guardianship because, um, the dog had already, it, it was a male. He'd done a number of readings. They were a great guardian home. And I know that it, that her concern for doing a good job added stress to her. And not, so I, I canceled that contract and let the dog retire. Yeah. But there are breeders that won't do that. Um, so you need to be sure that under any circumstances, you're going to be okay fulfilling the contract because most breeders will have in the contract that if you violate the contract, they get the dog back. So you can lose your dog and you need to be aware of that. Yeah. I still feel, I just, as we're talking, I keep having, feeling like I would be good at it. Um, of course you And would. I say this, <laughs> I say this given that my house is 100% full right now and Thank God my husband does not listen to this podcast where I sometimes am like, I'd like to have one of those kinds of dogs because uh, he would just be, he would be deeply distressed. Um, but uh, I I have, I have played with the thought that it would be nice to, um, to be a guardian home when I have an opening again. Um, one of the issues for me is that I feel like in order to find the, the right kind of dog for my home, I would have to look farther away than locally and i think that the i i totally get why 
that relationship does best as a local relationship. I 100% agree with that. But I, uh-huh. I feel like I might have to, uh, I might have real trouble finding someone in New England who was, yeah. you know, breeding the kinds of dogs I was interested in and looking for guardian homes. So. It, it can work at a distance with males, um, but not so much. Mm, it, yeah. It's really hard if the female is far away because, you know, when you're looking at a breeding, you've got all the, the, the pre-breeding visits, then you've got the breedings, and then... Um, you know, if the family does want to come visit and the, the breeder allows visits while the dog um, is there, there's that as well. So I've had yeah. guardians, female guardians, as far away as two hours, but um, those are people who have been retired and told me and, and reassured me, made me comfortable with the fact that they don't mind traveling and they didn't. They were great. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think those are my, those are my last questions. Um, and I promised that I would say if you're a breeder and you're looking into getting into this, I, I did want to point out that, as she said, she has a workshop available. Gigi, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. It's a workshop for breeders who are thinking about doing guardian homes or breeders who um, have started with guardian homes and, and just still feel like they need a little bit of help. And it talks about uh, how to set up a program. Um, we go into detail about whether a breeder is suited to the program how to handle things like return dogs, relocating families, dogs that don't end up being bred, um, husbandry issues, you know, things like that. And uh, we go over contracts and I have a system that I include in there um, that that's an automated communication system to help them keep in touch with the guardian homes very easily. Because I am not a good regular communicator. I failed my own test, but I fixed it with uh, um, putting some systems into place that allow me to stay in touch much better. Nice. Yes, the modern world with all of the, thank goodness, the little systems we have to help us function. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't function without my to-do list and my various my calendar and my various reminders. So yeah, yeah. Tech is good. Yeah, it is. So, so where would someone go to find that course? Sure, it's on learn.midwoofery.com, uh, and midwoofery is my my website where all my courses are. Which I, I did want to add a lot of excellent courses for breeders. Um, if you are looking to up your game or learn some of the basics, there's a lot of really good stuff on midwifery. So good that we, um, I was trying to build this breeder curriculum for the FDC and eventually just said that we would basically use midwifery as the core of it and keep adding some more stuff on. But I, I love what she does. So thank I, you. I recommend Thank that you very so highly. much. Thank you. It's, yeah. um, it's, you know, I, it's what I want to be when I grow up. It took me till I was in my fifties to figure it out, but, uh, it's my happy place. I love, Excellent. I love working with breeders and helping them and, and, uh, helping them, like you said, up their game and, and know more and be successful. Yeah. Well, it's much needed. So I'm glad you're out there. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, G. I appreciate Thank you for having me. I love, I love talking to you. Hey friends. Some of you have asked how to support the podcast, so we've set up a Patreon page for it. For a small monthly pledge, you help us pay for producing this podcast, and in exchange, you get a chance to suggest questions for podcast guests, and you get early access to podcast episodes. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash functional breeding. You could also help promote the podcast through subscribing to it through the podcast app of your choice and by leaving favorable reviews. If you're interested in supporting the Functional Dog Collaborative more generally, or finding ways to get involved, go to the functionalbreeding.org website and click the support link. Thanks to everyone who has helped out. We could not do this without you. 
Thanks so much for listening. The Functional Breeding Podcast is a product of the Functional Dog Collaborative and was produced by Attila Martin. Come join us at the Functional Breeding Facebook group to talk about this episode or about responsible breeding practices in general. To learn more about the FDC, check out the functionalbreeding.org website. Enjoy your dogs. Thank you.